Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to a man that I'm a huge fan of. He's found a way to reverse engineer a lot of the sound effects within the Metroid Prime trilogy. He's found the samples for it. He's used it cr to create his own stuff as well as remakes of uh, older Metroid stuff. Cinemax, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Reese? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So why don't we start off with how this journey started in terms of how you ended up making the Metroid stuff, how you found the samples. Why don't you just give me the rundown? Sure. So basically in around 2017, I found this Discord um, on the internet where um, they, uh, these group of people, they figure out uh, the samples used to make up uh, video game soundtracks. And I found that there was this whole world of sample libraries and synth gear that uh, essentially comprises a, a, a there's a lot of reusing of sounds and whatnot and basically uh, you realize because sometimes you'll you'll hear you'll play a video game and you're like I've heard that sound before where have I heard that and and so a lot of people caught on to that and and so a lot of people are um, in uh, that I know are devoting time to figuring out. Okay, this composer had this gear, and therefore, you know, use this preset. And so, this whole culture of recreating and restoring music, uh, especially for games that uh, that are like sixteen bit that have like low fidelity samples, you know, just because of the limitations of the hardware at the time. So. Uh, a lot of people, now that we found the original samples where uh, a lot of these sounds come from, were able to do what's called a, a restoration, uh, as it will, as, it, as it's called. And basically, uh, you end up, you, you basically restore the sound. And, and so that was really fascinating to me. And I was like, well, wait, if people figure out this stuff for you know, Mario and stuff. Maybe I could figure out what kind of gear Kenji Yamamoto used for the Metroid Prime soundtracks. And so this was much easier said than done because it was <laughs> like, <laughs> I imagine it, it's, it's literally like a needle in a haystack, right? It's you're you don't know where to start. You know, here's this Japanese composer. I have no idea what his studio looks like, what his gear is. It's just, uh, uh, you know, it's a shashat in the dark. Some people manage, you know, they're really well-versed with gear and they go, oh yeah, that's, that's that. That's a, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. So, <laughs> so at, at first I thought he used like, um, logic pro or something like that, uh, use samples from that. Cause I thought I heard some pretty similar choir sounds again, this was back in 2017. So this was like when I first started out and I didn't know anything about, you know, sample finding and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've been writing music since 2004, but like it wasn't until 2017 that I really started to like look into that. And then my first hit, uh, was this, someone found, um, uncivilized grooves, which is the sample library that, uh, came out in, uh, 2000. It's really, really obscure. I've, I've never seen it on eBay since I, I, the only time I saw it on eBay I got it, and and I've never seen it on there since. But all those samples ended up becoming the backbone for the percussion and 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 the uh, for the music. And once I figured out, once someone uh, on the Discord uploaded that and let me know about, it, I was like, okay, this is actually kind of possible. I might be able. To. So I tried recreating the uh, the the Parasite Queen beat uh, with the samples there. Um, I think you have the flood sample. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I went ahead and um, I sent you a couple of those samples so we could hear them on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, which one should I play? Um, that is the that is the question. <laughs> uh, the yeah, try, uh, the flood one should be good. The flood one. Okay. Yeah. All right. I will do that right now. Yeah, so that's an interesting sample, I find, because obviously it's got a lot of the, the standard the and the weird pipe sounds that 
became yeah. iconic with it. Uh, so we, when you got that CD, because obviously some of those samples, uh, as I've seen and heard, they already have a r- reverb on them or a delay on them. Yes. Right. So do you have to cut them and then just try and shorten them as much as possible? Or do you leave the delay in there? Because I know when you've recreated tracks, you've used these samples. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's really fascinating because um, when, when I use these samples, you get the vibe you, you, and, and then you compare them to like the actual song. You get the, you get the vibe of like what Yamamoto-san was thinking when he was working on the track, right? And you're like, okay, so he did use the delay baked in. And it's like really interesting stuff that like I normally wouldn't do, right? I would like just isolate the sample and then add my own delay to it. But he actually used the delay in the original sample for uh, for some of the stabs in that flood sample. And that really surprised me because it was like well, that's a completely different tempo to what the actual song is. And I don't know if that was done because if it's like budgetary constraints and he was hurrying or you know or or something like that <laughs> but because because that's the other thing too it's like there's just so much music uh but uh yeah it's just really fascinating because like sometimes he'll snip samples so that way it's just there's no delay at all and it's just the sam- the dry sample itself um but it, yeah it, basically the method of of attack as it were with the 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 uncivilized groove cd is you basically uh the, sa- the loops come with their own stem, so you just find the stem that you need that has the sample that you want, and you just isolate that and trim it. But uh, there was one track um, the uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the monster's name. Uh, the ice monster boss in um, Fendrana Drifts. Um, oh, that- Shigos. Shigos, is it? Uh, the- oh no, the Shigos are the, the ice. Oh, Thardis. Uh, Thardis? Th- Thard- Thank you. Thank you, Thardis. Yes. Yes. How can I forget the Galaxy Quest monster? Name? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, uh, yeah. The there's uh, the one loop M room, I believe. It the guy uh, Kenji Yamamoto just used it as is, no editing whatsoever. It's like it, not even time stretching or anything. It's just the raw sample. He just plopped it into the song. Um, it's, so there's really interesting things like that. It's like stuff that's like, wow, he just. More often than not, he doesn't even like pitch stuff differently. It's usually a lot of times on C. He'll trigger samples right on C because it just happened to be there on the orbit or or whatnot. It's uh, it's so you get this really cool fascination of like uh, sensation of like oh wow I could see why he did that. Oh he increased the attack on this a little bit to kind of make it a little bit more spookier. I get that you know, and going through that mindset and that that methodology it helps i think kind of reassure you like hey okay cool i am doing music production right because this is stuff that i would do too you know what i mean it kind of it's kind of like a feedback loop as it were yeah that's true because i think when i first heard the soundtrack i sensationalized it in my head i'm thinking oh he must have designed these sounds from scratch and you start going into the detail obviously as a musician right uh yeah you do this and then to find out it's something real basic, it's kind of the hype that you built up in your head. It's kind of a bit sad because you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, okay, as you said, it's it's uh, something quite basic. Basic. So sometimes um, doing stuff very simple is is the best way. Simple is more effective. It can be more Absolutely. effective. Yeah, yeah. So you don't need to go and design all these sounds i mean yeah in, in kenji yamamoto's case he was probably under constraints so he probably wouldn't have been able to do that anyway but that makes it easier for you in terms of trying to redesign or remake a track no absolutely quick aside uh, another artist that uh you know who heavily relies on sample libraries is akira yamaoka from silent hill Mm-hmm. And um, that's the similar thing too, because people who initially hear those soundtracks are like, "Wow, the sound design of this is amazing and stuff." And then people kind of get the magic is kind of lost a little bit. And it's like, "Oh, he didn't do all that sound design. He just grabbed samples from sample libraries." And to that, I I, I say that doesn't take away anything. You know, Yamaoka-san took these samples and rearranged them in a way and used them in a way to make this music that's so evocative and everything 
and that's a, it, it's the and then add into budget and time constraints of making a product on on time and the deadline and everything there's no other logical answer than to use presets and samples and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that mm, mm. so was there it, a was there a before and after that so when you started building the, the sound library for metroid prime did that change the fundamental way that you did music or the way you did sound effects uh it, 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 I never had like hardware before this. In fact, I didn't even have a proper MIDI controller before this. Uh, I only got uh, like my real 49 key MIDI controller, like in 2019. Uh, uh, before that I was actually, this was all hobbyists and I would just, you know, use my computer keyboard for, for a MIDI keyboard. And, um, but now that I've, I, I've, you know, been very, very fortunate enough to obtain the the sound modules the emu sound modules and and the, and the microcorg um it it's it's got me way more familiar with midi it's got me way more familiar with recording audio uh and um so it and it's also shown me like uh again like when you recreate music you you go like okay he put this sound over here so that way there's a seamless loop you know it's again little tricks like that that really help um get you in the mindset of what needs to be done for video game composing and and composing in general you know figuring out like okay like what does this song bring to the table both in terms of excitement but also like emotional content and and, and so it goes it it, it 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 to answer your question I know I answered that in a really roundabout way, but like That's all right. <laughs> to answer your question is yes, I think the, the equipment has changed the way I produce a little bit. Uh, but in, 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 in other ways, it hasn't because I also want to make the distinction that I have my original music and then I have my Metroid music, right? Because uh, because they are, I, I realize my original production style sense is much more similar to like someone like, you know, again, Akira Yamaoka or, uh, um, you know, much more sample base. Uh, but whereas Yamamoto-san's all, you know, synth module base with a little bit of samples here and there. So it's a lot more off board, you know, hardware setup. So, but it, it gets me out of my comfort zone. Right. So it's like, it, it helps me think in different ways and, and, um, to, when it comes to music production, hmm. But what what do you prefer? Do you prefer doing the music production or do you prefer sound design? Hmm. Uh, they both. Ha- I I love both. Uh, sound design. You could do some really amazing stuff with sound design, and and I think sometimes I might actually lean a little more towards sound design, just because I just love the idea of working with drones and, um, and samples. One of my all time favorite bands is, um, groups is the, uh, art of noise, um, from the 1980s. Um, and JJ Yanchalik, who, uh, worked with the Fairlight sequencer there, uh, a sampler. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, he loads these crazy samples, samples of like grunts and, and these insane drums and stuff that were so, industrial sounding and yet he was able you know uh the whole art of noise team were able to make this music that's just so uh artificial sounding yet melodic and and so i've always liked the idea of creating music with unconventional instruments or unconventional sound design so but to 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 create that music you need to do the sound design first and so and oftentimes i'm usually like whenever I'm listening to a track, I'm often listening to the minute details in the background going like, oh, yeah, I like that that reverb there. You know, I've, I've noticed that my listening as I've as I've grown being a casual video game soundtrack listener to a person who's, you know, been doing music production for a while now. It, I, I've noticed how my tastes have matured as well as my ear. You know, my uh, my ear is more sensitive to the the minute frequency changes and 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 things of that nature. Um, so that's uh, something that I found really fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. So you managed to reverse engineer 
the file format. Was it AGSC? I think it is. Yes, with, uh, uh, the I was able. Yes, that is correct. So uh, the uh, first off, uh, I have a, a couple of friends. They run uh, what's called uh, URDE. It is essentially uh, a, a PC emulator for Metroid Prime, and they're actually reverse engineering the whole game and and going to try and make it uh, uh, legally playable on PC. Um, and it's uh, uh, they were working on the the sound format for that. Uh, for the game and there were uh there were several theories on how the the sound format worked and so one of uh the programmers on the project mentioned hey i believe they used musix as the sound engine i think i read that in an article somewhere and and so it's like okay let's look at some code of example code from musix from like because we had um um uh there was like uh, some file, uh, some source files from like um, uh, uh, an example MusiX uh, SDK project, and so by comparing the chunks in those files and looking at the SG, uh, the AGSC file format in Metroid Prime, I was recognizing patterns. Mind you, I, I've never at this point I never done any hex editing. This was the very first hex editing I ever done. And I was just diving in, looking at ones, you know, looking at the hex characters and going, do I see any patterns? Right. And I look back on it now and I'm like still kind of amazed that like I was able to do that. Not to toot my own horn, but just considering like, because before that, I was just on forums like asking people like, hey, can you reverse engineer this? Can you do this for me? Can you, (laughs) you know, and stuff's never going to get done when you do that, man. Sometimes, sometimes you got to do it yourself, and 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 sometimes you just need that determination that, and to just open up that that program and just dive in. And and I was like recognizing patterns. And at first they were like, "No, I don't think that's it." I'm like, "No, no, no! Look, this file here looks like this chunk here," and it, it turns out the AGSC file is four MusiX files in one. You see. The way the Musiac sound engine works is that you have what's called sound macros, which are basically little scripts that denote the pitch of the sound, how loud it is, uh, the panning, uh, the priority of the sound. And essentially, I found the chunk for that, and I found the chunk for the samples, and I found – so once we figured out that what basically, basically Retro Studios did was take the four files and then put them into one big file. And then once we figured that out, we were able to reverse engineer it, and, and I was able to insert sound effects. Uh, uh, it took a little bit of work, but I was able to insert some sound effects into the game as well. So uh, that was really cool. Because mm. do you know much about coding, or did you prior to that? Because obviously when you're looking at it, it probably looks like the Matrix code, <laughs> right? Just a I- whole bunch of weird numbers and letters. Yeah, no, it, it was, it, it's, and at times it still is very alien. I, I've, I've known, I know a lot more about Hex now, and I was also able to figure out a little bit of uh, uh, some other video game formats as well. So while I'm not, I admit I'm not great with coding, I, I can like read code, but I can't write it. Uh, but with, in terms of debugging and Hex editing, um, it's now become a little bit of a hobby now because I've also reverse engineered a little bit, not not big things, but I've also you know I've looked into uh, going back to that that Fairlight sampler that Art of Noise used. That's being emulated on Mame now, and so I've been uh, looking into the reverse engineering of that uh, and, and figuring out how some of the the, the idiosyncrasies of that computer works. And so it, it's it's cool how like Metroid Prime's kind of like been in my life for such a long time and it's kind of like influenced by other ways of, of of approaching different hobbies i guess yeah yeah definitely makes sense i mean that's why i have a lot of respect for people like david wise who actually wrote mm. music in hex you know that they actually wrote it, it via code yeah yeah it's it, crazy. it is it is crazy because um there, there was a, a a video game um that i uh, reverse engineered a little bit of the music format and looking at the the MIDI data and and like I had to go in and like remove a couple of bytes of hex and I'm like I can't imagine you know someone like David Wise going in and, and writing music you know 
this, which is again another really similar process to what you know Koji Kondo, you know, mm. would do with Super Mario Brothers, and you know they they had to write their own assembly drivers, you know, like their their own NES drivers in assembly code, you know, and, and I mean not even you know an an object oriented language like C, so it's I have a you know a lot of respect for those guys because that's just they. And it kind of like it is today. You kind of have to have a, a you know a lot of hats, you know, to 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 get to get stuff done nowadays. And that that was kind of the same mentality back then. Mm. So, have you attempted to make any music in Hex just to challenge yourself, or you like, oh no, hell with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was able to. Um, um, <laughs> I, I've done. Uh, there's tracker stuff. That's almost like writing in hex it's a lot easier of course but it's at the same time there's a you know you have those walls of of numbers flying by and stuff and that could be a little bit daunting at times for me personally um but uh <laughs> no i i uh the clo- that the tracker stuff is probably the closest thing i've done to what uh uh closest to hex writing i guess mm, mm. so in regards to the actual music samples because kinji yamamoto used stuff like orbit 3 uh, mm-hmm. He used some Korg stuff. Uh, the Pro- is it the Proteus two thousand three thousand? Yeah, uh, yep. the, the Proteus two thousand. That's correct. Two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, obviously, how the heck did you find out that he was using this equipment? And then, obviously, there's there's probably stuff that he used that was just the standard sample, but then stuff would have been EQ'd or modulated. Right. Yeah. So, how did you work out all of this stuff? Well, uh, so once it, once we figured once I figured out that you know Uncivilized Grooves was the sample library, I was like, well, there's got to be other stuff that's been used. And and Paper Mario has patches from the Proteus 2000 that are used in Metroid Prime. And so I was like, okay, there is there is these are definite sounds that have been reused. These aren't just sounds that Kenji Yamamoto created. You know, again, this was the, my own self discovery. Uh, of of like this is how composers work they don't you know use uh you know uh, they don't sound design everything so it again it was literally like a needle in a haystack situation my only lead was the fact that super metroid had samples from the emu proteus sound module the emu proteus sound module is uh, uh a staple of the 90s because it was one of those, it was a, a sound module is like a sampler, except it's got, it's just a little more robust and it has a whole, it has all the sounds on a, it's essentially a rompler. It's a better way of putting it. So all the sounds are on the ROM and uh, you play it through the MIDI keyboard. And they were very, they were like workhorses in studios because they had all these sounds. And so you hear them on uh, cartoon soundtracks and, and all this stuff in the nineties all the time. Uh, and so some of those samples showed up in Super Metroid. So I was like, okay, well maybe, Yamamoto-san used emu stuff into Metroid Prime. It's a theory. And so I managed to stumble. Someone uploaded a YouTube video with a demo for the Orbit 3. Um, And I was like, I'll give this a shot. And the first sound I heard was the noise. uh, The noise hits. I'll pull it up right now. Um, And um, it was like, when I heard these, I, I, I was like, Cue it up. There we go. I I heard this. And and that just like I knew I hit the gold. I knew I hit the jackpot. <laughs> and then the one right next to it is literally my favorite sound from the Metroid Metroid Prime trilogy is this uh ion pad. That's used heavily uh, in Metroid Prime Two. Absolutely, yeah, that specific pad. Yeah, this and one did, is. So, did he do anything to that pad, or is that just how it is? That's uh, so. One of the few tracks I've created from Metroid Prime is Aegon uh, Wastes, which is where this patch is used. There's a very, very subtle mod- uh, like modulation wheel change. It's super subtle. I had to listen to the track several several times over to catch that because i was listening to it i'm going something sounds off 
I don't know what it is, but it, it, it something's not adding up. And, and literally, I was just grabbing the knobs on the front of the Orbit 3 going, which one is it? Is it cutoff? Is it resonance? Is it the attack? And, and a lot of times, it's just guesswork, man, just trying to go, okay, I, I have this sound here right now, but was there anything else added to it? I'm, I'm running into that problem right now with um, – I'm recreating the music from – the the spider guardian ing uh, boss music and there's this really cool choir that plays uh, uh, and i can't figure out the exact sound because like all the choir samples in the orbit three kind of sound the same and mm. there's like an, a, a chorus effect on it and i don't know if that's if that chorus effect is on the orbit three or if it's on outboard gear like on a, an effects pedal so I honestly don't know, like, if, if, uh, if, you know, if I found the exact sample, sometimes I, I realize I might going to have to have, you know, facim- uh, uh, you know, close enoughs, right? But um, that, uh, so it, when, uh, to answer your question again, like, yeah, sometimes a flagger is another good example where he slightly modified the attack of uh, the, the one sound and, um, it's really uh, – so minute stuff like that can make or break a track. And that's, that's something I was really fascinated. Like uh, he'll even throw in uh, – Yamamoto-sama throw in like ghost notes in the in the rhythm and stuff. So there's a lot of minute details that's uh, – I found quite surprising for a video game soundtrack, honestly. Because mm. he'll use a lot of layers as well because I know you recreated uh, Torvus Bog. Mm. And, I, and obviously there's the video online for people who haven't seen it, but – and it's got a breakdown in fruity loops of all the different layers that you use. I mean, there's heaps. What is it like, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, or something? It's 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 complex, and and um, it was was really even more fascinating that I wrote that Torvis Bog recreation with the software version of these hardware modules with the VST plugin. So. Cause that that that's that's the, uh, quick aside. I I want to again express my gratitude uh, to Speedy for helping me get the Orbit Three. She told me about the Orbit Three that was on sale on a site because when I started making the videos, I was talking about the Orbit Three, right? And I realized that may be driving up the price of it, and because they're already really uncommon. You see, what happened is the sounds in here were designed by Rob Patton who's a Dutch sound designer, he didn't license these sounds when they re-released these in software form. So the hard, you can only get the Orbit 3 in hardware form. I mean, well, okay, no, I take that back. There's the, the sounds they recreated for the emulator X3, so you can emulate it in software form. Uh, I take that back. <laughs> but, uh, but there's a caveat to that. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. So, yeah. but to like, so right now, commercially, you cannot get the Orbit 3 sounds anywhere right now. So I was very, very fortunate to, to, to get an Orbit 3 right before the prices started jumping really, really crazy. Like the last time I saw on eBay, they wanted like 1100 or and how much? Like how that. much did they retail for before? I think it was like somewhere between 500 700 And they oh, were... Wow. Yeah. So and 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 I got I got mine for for five hundred. Um, uh, but it was uh, I, I again I realized how incredibly lucky. Uh, and and the other thing that I was really lucky with was that there's uh, an extreme lead ROM. There's three there's three sound modules that I believe that Yamamoto San used. There was the Orbit three. The Protus 2000, and then uh, the Extreme Lead 1. The Extreme Lead 1's annoying because there's variants of the ROM. So there's the Extreme Lead 1, and then there's the the XL1 Turbo, which has more... uh, It's ever so slightly different. And I realized that... And rarer. And I realized that Yamamoto-san used the XL1 Turbo. Uh, But I was very fortunate when I had the money to purchase... uh, the ROM for it, I was like, I found one on eBay. I was like, this is an okay price. I guess, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe I can work around with it. And I just happened by chance, by luck, happened to get the right rarer variant ROM. 
so it's almost like fate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's the plan going forward? Are you going to recreate every single track? Are you going to recreate Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime Star? What's 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 the goal here? I uh, right now I'm just. And, and enjoying the fact that I can I could recreate music and I can make music that sounds like Metroid Prime. I realize, as I mentioned earlier, like the amount of music, I realize the amount of music to recreate is just astronomical. Uh, and again, it gives me a further appreciation to, you know, the all these composers uh, that work in video games. Just the amount of 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 output they have to produce for these projects. And uh, so that being said, I realized that it's going to be very, very difficult at a day job in of itself to be able to find all the samples, find all the uh, the presets and the patches um, and recreate the whole soundtrack because it's there's there's the soundtrack was mastered in 32 kilohertz uh, uh, sampling rate. So it's not like a 16 bit game, right? Mm. You know, it's it, 32, 32 kilohertz is not great, but it's better than, it's better than 22. It's better than 16. It's better than eight. Um, and so at, at the same time, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving up on Metroid music. Cause that's not what I'm, I'm saying. I'm just basically saying like, I realize that there is, uh, the effort to try to recreate the whole soundtracks and stuff it, it is again just astronomically high and you know with a day job and everything that's just yeah yeah fair <laughs> enough <laughs> but fair uh enough. but uh but that being said uh, uh tracks like torvis box you know tracks that really mean a lot to me that you know that songs that have influenced my creative output uh you know i definitely love to to visit and take a look at because it again I feel like I'm in his shoes recreating the music, right? And it's like you get you get a really interesting introspective of 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 the music production behind it. You get you, you it kind of it's like the Wizard of Oz just, you know, pulling back the curtain, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you thought about maybe starting a Kickstarter or speaking to OC Remix or trying to get the word out there to maybe I don't know, it would be possible to fund this so you'd actually could set the time aside to actually do it. It's if you wanted to do it. <laughs> I, uh, it, I, you know, that's the interesting thing. I, um, for the longest time, I was actually like kind of a little bit, um, a little bit upset that I was the Metroid guy, right? Like, I want my original music to kind of sand out and stuff. But then I realized, you know, there's a lot worse things in the world to be known as the Metroid guy, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and, and so I've, I've really kind of embraced it. And am I going to write Metroid music forever? No, but I, I don't know, like, if a Kickstarter or something, that would be crazy, because like, I don't want to get into the legal ramifications of Nintendo or anything like that. I don't know if I don't know what would be involved, if anything. Um, but no, that hasn't really crossed my mind yet of, of fundraising or, or crowdfunding uh, for something like that. That would be cool, though. Um, I would have to I would have to look into that. Never yeah. thought of that. Because I don't think they could legally shut it down. Well, I suppose they could legally shut it down if you're. I suppose if you are recreating it from scratch, I suppose every single track, yeah. particularly the it's, Metroid Prime stuff, because yeah, it, it's copyrighted with the game. Yeah, but, um, they, it's it's hard to say. So like uh, Andrew Holsholt, he did like a remake of a uh, Doom with his guitars and stuff, and tried to mm -hmm. modernize the sound basically from its MIDI days, and now he is the composer on the DLC for Doom Eternal. So, who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the other way would be maybe PayPal or something. But yeah, right. I mean, Nintendo are funny like that, right? So you <laughs> you don't really you don't really know. But like they haven't done anything so far. I mean, um, right? Have, have you thought about approaching Retro Studios and see what I, they say? I, so so many people have come up to me 
asked me like you should you should talk to retro you should you should let them know and uh, I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to them because I haven't done it yet. Because frankly, my you know, uh, real life and stuff like that. But I I I also like I, the fact that I, I'm I'm very humbled by the fact that people have said that to me and reach out to them. And it's like because it, it just it, I, I, it's it, it makes me, it makes me feel really good. <laughs> so so yeah no I, and I've worked on minor projects before and stuff like that. So I've, I've, I've had a little bit of ex, uh, you know, experience with, with composing and, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, no, if like, if they want to send me MIDI data and I'll, I'll record it for them, you know, just in case if they don't have <laughs> orbit threes anymore, cause that's the other thing too. This is, you know, 20 year old technology here. I don't know if, if they, cause that's something to bring into consideration with like, is they're going to reuse the, are they going to reuse these sounds for Metroid prime four? You know, I hope so. I yeah, hope so. these these sounds are. I like to call them the the sound palette. Like like Yamamoto San uses like uh, the same presets over and over again for specific areas. So like if you listen to the instruments and samples used for Talon Overworld Depths, and then you compare it to Torvis Bog, these two rainy uh, terrains. They have very similar presets and samples and whatnot. So I found that really fascinating. And 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 both Prime Prime One and Two and Three, they all if you want ethereal sounds, so so that's I found really fascinating is like this the sound palette concept, right? Of 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 reusing uh familiar patches and whatnot for different locale for the similar locales and whatnot. Um uh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that actually caught uh, my ear when I first played Metro Prime is because I'm a big fan of uh, hip hop, and I was mm. noticing that a lot of the the melody or the the samples that were being used was stuff that like Dr. Dre would use when he was creating beats, and I was like, "Hang on a sec." But the thing is, with it is, it has such a unique soundtrack that mm. no other game sounds like, and that's just a testament to Nintendo and all of their composers because almost every franchise is like that. It has a signature sound, like yeah. even Splatoon, which is their newest stuff, has a very, very unique sound to it. Yeah. Um, you know, because especially these days with the way gaming has gone and video game soundtracks tend to be a bit more cinematic now, right? So they're not as distinctive. Right, but, right. But that's still very, very distinctive, which – and the reason why I say this is because as a musician – I know how much time it would have taken for you to find this stuff, then recreate it from scratch. Like it must have taken hours, like months, years, in some cases. Um, it's just it's crazy. That's why, like when I first, heard, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy must have invested so much time into this. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like. I hope he's gotten some money or something from it because it's it's a hell of a lot of um, time to invest in just for a hobby. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if something can come from it, I, I yeah. So I just chase things, man. Like yeah, well, you got nothing you. to lose by contacting Retro. Like nothing, really. No, what's 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 you know? It's not going to hurt to ask. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It it's uh, no, I. I Dude, I got to tell you, like this past year, so much stuff has happened in my life where I'm like, this isn't just coincidence. This is like, I really do feel like there's, there's going to be cool stuff on the horizon. I don't know what, but I'm just along for the ride. I'm just going to ride the wave and see what happens. And, and right now, you know, our paths have met and I feel really good about it, man. Yeah, likewise. I mean, I spoke to, obviously, I spoke to Mick Gordon not <laughs> too long ago. And um, off air, I I told him that, like, I compose and stuff. And I did do a video game portfolio. And he actually gave me some sound advice if I wanted to uh, become a video game composer. So I'll pass that on to you. And basically, he said that you just find out who the sound person is or who does the engineering for the audio for hmm. any game company, and then you just send them your portfolio. That's the best way to do it. So if if that's something you wanted to pursue further, like just 
you don't even like just retro, obviously, but then you could also contact other video game companies because it could be something that um, you end up doing full time. No, absolutely. I would, I would absolutely love to have a composing gig full time. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's my dream, honestly, you know, and, and, uh, to be able to have a living off of that. Um, and, um, I've written music for, uh, you know, short films and stuff like that. So I know I can do it, you know, I, I, and, and I've, I've, I have to admit, like, you know, when I started writing for the longest time, like back in 2004, for the longest time until, you know, I started doing this Metroid thing, I was just a hobby, right? And now that I've, I've, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff has changed for everyone recently, you know, with, with the, the pandemic and stuff. And, uh, I think a lot of time that, uh, I, you know, I'm going on a little personal rant here, but you know, like, uh, you know, it gives you some introspection, right? And uh, I had I had to go through a lot of introspection with myself and and my music and and who I am as a person, and that really helped out because now I feel like for the first time in my life that I'm writing music the the way I'm supposed to be writing it. I'm not doing it just for fun. I'm doing. Well, I mean, I am doing it just for fun. That's the most important thing. But uh, but I'm I'm doing it with a purpose too. I'm not just like willy nilly. I'm like I'm, I want to make music that can entertain people and make people happy. And um. And and so at the end of the day, if you know, if even if if you know, a composition career or something doesn't work out, I'm still very happy with the fact that uh. uh you know, you reach out to me about my music. I mean, to me, that's success right there. Mm. Well, hey, I, I very much admire you, you know, and I think it's cool <laughs> what you're doing. Did COVID change anything for you in terms of how you did anything in terms of your music and sound design or anything? Because obviously the whole world's changed, but with this sort of stuff, you're, it's one person confined to a room, right? So yeah, I'd imagine it would largely still stay it's it's pretty much been the same i uh again i've been very grateful that i i I have a at-home job uh before everything happened so the transition was fortunately pretty seamless uh uh but in terms of music uh no it's kind of always uh always been pretty much the same fortunately i think i think the if anything that has changed now that i think about it, it it's probably the emotional impact, the emotional connection I have with music now, you know, like I think before then it was just like, Oh, Hey, it's music. And then, uh, it's funny. Cause, uh, you know, my, my wife, she loves music too. And she has this, it's funny. Cause like, I know all this stuff about music production and she has this whole vast knowledge about music culture and all these, you know, great bands and, and, and groups of people I've never heard of before. And it's like exploding my mind with this, knowledge of music and it's like this is inspiring me this is giving me new ideas i never thought of writing music this way before so it was kind of like really cool to get that introspective uh, again i've been using that word a lot <laughs> that's all right it's a powerful word <laughs> it is a powerful word yeah uh but it, it really is uh again just like ha- you got to have that balance of like immersing yourself in the music culture but also like you know, immersing yourself in the technical side of things and finding that nice equilibrium. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So I have to get you to play some more, um, <laughs> some more Metro Prime stuff. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let me... So whatever you've got for me or the, sure. the people listening. Sure. So we're going to fire up the uh, Aeon pad again because I just love the sound so much. It's so good, eh? And then I suppose, is it the same, like with the, because that's, is that Aegon Weiss, is it? Or is that yes. the, lane? yeah, yeah, Aegon Weiss. So, do you, does he use the higher pitch sounds at all? Uh, 
Yeah, like that's actually it's interesting because it's kind of like a bit of uh, uh, both. Uh, sometimes he goes higher. Sometimes sounds change really drastically uh, in the higher pitch. For example, I'll pull up um, on the extreme lead uh, this uh, Bezatine Bell preset. This is used in um, it's used in uh, the Frigate Escape. And everyone, if I, if I play the lower notes, uh, oh. I switch MIDI channels. If I play the lower notes, yeah, it's a cool sound, you know. But if I go to the higher notes, completely oh, different sound. But that's yeah. that. It's that that jangle sound effect from the the frigate escape or the 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 the, the, the frigate Orphean from the first game. Mm. Okay, so there are times where he uses the same sound but just at a higher pitch. That will probably be quite common, and he probably yes, use it on the same track sometimes as well. One of the, one of the best ones, the best uh, use of uh, let's see here twenty. Uh, one of the best there's a there's a preset here called More Senses. Here we go. More senses is amazing because it's it's an extremely versatile preset that Yamamoto-san uses a lot, both low and high. Uh, it this is this is actually pretty funny. So uh, so high end, it's used for again frigate Orphean. So, but. If you go lower, it's also the intro pad for Torvis Bog. You go lower <laughs> still. That's awesome. You, you go lower still, it's the uh, drone for the pirate spa- uh, lab in uh, Frandrana Drifts. So again, he, going back, uh, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say he uses those drone type sounds quite a lot, right? Where he'll he will uh, hold one note, you know, for like one second or two seconds, like mm, yeah, mm, yeah. And here's another one. Is that uh, Finjarana drifts? Is yep, that the opening yep. intro? Yeah. Yep, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> uh yeah, no, there's it's uh Metroid Prime really introduced like uh this idea of a wall of sound, right? Like a, or like a drone, right? Just this bed. And um if uh let me see if I can pull up one more. There's uh this uh, again, this idea of like uh just having something in the background to kind of like just give your ears like this ambience, this space, like, like much like how reverb, when you add reverb to something, it just gives like this space, this ambience that really makes you feel like you're there. Well, this is kind of like the same to me, the same psychological concept. Uh, so let me go ahead. There's uh yeah. BPM. That's, that's the, what I won't be for. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. And that's wow. uh, that one's called BPM Love One, and it's like just these random presets, and it's like that's like in the background for the the title screen for uh, the first game. Yeah. Um. And but having something interesting in the background like adds like so much. Uh, you know that's that's to me that's like a really cool music production tip where you're writing something for like psytrance or something or hip hop or whatever, just having like. You know, um, I wish I could remember the track, but there was some uh, um, um, some early '90s hip hop track I was listening to. It, it had like this really nice um, city ambience in the background, like sirens and stuff. And it was like I was freaking out for a moment. I was like, 
where's the sirens coming from? You know, so <laughs> little things like that just really add so much uh, to, to, to your music production. Mm-hmm. Do you have the, uh, the, I think it's ice field, isn't it? The ice field yes. preset. The, that's the iconic Fendrana drifts melody line pretty much. Yes. The, uh, the mic, I have a micro Korg, but the original synth that, uh, was used for Metroid Prime was the Korg MS-2000. Uh, and the microcorg is just the relative of it. Uh, okay, so let's go ahead and pull up. Let's see. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such an iconic sound, though, isn't it? No, it really is, and um, uh, th- it's just a white noise burst. You know, something like you hear from like um, it almost reminds me of the Dreamcast opening, um, and um, there's the other. I loaded the other one earlier. The uh, the this one's called. Um, past mine and this one's really interesting because it's what's called a split um whereas the preset uh, has two it's like two presets in one so basically what's going on is that you have uh on the high end of the keyboard you have this whistle and on the low end you have a pad uh and so when i was loading the sysx data from the ms2000 and putting it into the microcorg I was just getting that pad, but I want that whistle, which is uh, used a lot in uh, uh, Metroid Prime. I'm a little bit rusty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sine wave, isn't it? Yeah, but that's yeah, like, it's just that's that's really common in '90s hip hop as well. That exact whistle sine wave sound. It's really, it's really, uh, yeah, it's, there's actually two sine waves. Uh, he uses this past mine one, which is kind of like a a retro, uh, tangerine dream sort of vibe. Right. And then he uses this other one called turn wheel, which is uh, very, very reminiscent to, to hip hop. So there's, and I'm playing at an octave lower too. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but uh, I do a lot more sequencing than playing in real life, as you could tell. But uh, nevertheless, it's. So uh, it, 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 when I first heard that growing up, I was like, to me, that's like so weird and out of place yet fitting, mm. you know? And I, I it's because when I first heard it, it was like, like you said, it just sounds something right out of hip hop, but I like how, again, it's that ideology of like using instruments unconventionally, you know, something that's usually for reserved for a particular genre. And then here it is in a sci-fi video game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And sometimes it's something very simple. I mean, when I was going through the uncivilized grooves samples, uh, I'll play it now. Is the the prime one, which is <laughs> is awesome, right? That that's the that that's the name that they used. Um, so with the prime one, when I play it, yeah. So you can hear the phase on mines drum track in the in the um, in the background. So it's crazy yes. that he would have just taken that sample, then just chucked some kind of drone pad string thing on top of yes. it, and then uh, I think there's a choir as well, and then that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, and there's you've um, it, and you've got it. You've got the entire, <laughs> you got the entire track, and it, yeah, and it no, works well. There's uh, the uh, the pad. There is uh, uh, phase flips from uh, the Proteus 2000. 
Uh, no, that's not it. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, yeah. So good, eh? So good. <laughs> there are some tracks, I will admit, that, um, uh, can are a little bit easier to recreate than others. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you could probably <laughs> recreate Phase On Minds pretty easily. I'm sure it would take you, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours. Yeah, possibly. if you if the- you knew exactly what, if you could break down the particular drum track, and right, then, yeah, yeah. I actually tried recreating Phase On Minds a little bit, and what happened was. I'm not sure what exactly they did to the drum loop, but it was ever so slightly different. I had to do all this chopping to match it up with the original song. And I'm not sure. I never was happy with that approach. I never really, I haven't re-released that. I haven't re-released, but I haven't re I haven't released the track yet because of that. I wanted to see if there was like, if they approached it a different way, a little more accurate way, but that's my perfectionistic side of me. So sometimes I, I, I sometimes I just got to like let the tracks go. And it's like, this is the best I can do, but you know, uh, Hey man, I totally understand as a musician myself, <laughs> even with these podcasts, sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to release this. It's not up to my standard, but I just end up doing it anyway, because even if I don't like it, there's bound to be someone that does. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, 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 that's, that's the the right mentality to have, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, hard. It's hard. <laughs> so I totally understand. Cause when you're a perfectionist, a creative people, right? We tend to be like, that. yeah. So it's like, oh, you just see all the flaws in it. And apparently, it was <laughs> it was like that for a lot of the designers on the original Metroid Prime because they were working on the game for so long, they hated yeah. the game. They didn't even like it because all they saw were the flaws in it, right? Yeah. Now yeah. that's that. I, I have to wonder, like you know that. Uh, that the, the development history on Metroid Prime is just absolutely fascinating, and and um, that I'm sure a lot of other developers besides Retro have run into that issue of like having the uh, uh, you know they see just all the cracks in the facade and everything, and and uh, that that I tell you that would drive me nuts, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, but uh, I, I that game and Goldeneye, those games are like. The teams on there were, were like like Goldeneye, for example, was just like no one made a game before with that team, you know. And like with Retros, like this is their very first very first game, and this it was like, and these games were like made but like with this like trial by fire mental uh, vibe to them rather, and it's it, I think that's why I think that's another reason why I like Metroid Prime Two. I think maybe there there was a little bit more like love. Now that they now that they've given birth to the first game, right? I don't I don't want I don't want to say that though because obviously there's a lot of love in the first game too. You know I don't want to take that away, of course. But but yeah. did you know that with the second game, they uh, they completed seventy five percent of it in three months because they were behind schedule. So basically, the dark uh, the dark areas uh, they bit off more they, than they can chew, and so they ran out of time. So they had to do 75% of the game in three months. They had to meet this deadline. So they, when people criticize Metroid Prime 2 for certain reasons, it's probably because they didn't have time to fully flesh yeah. it out the way they wanted to, say, like the dark areas or the sky temple keys or just with the insane right. difficulty in some sections. It's really fascinating as well because with that and even with the original Metroid Prime because it's, it's, it's a combination of east and western design kind of fusing together yeah yeah Yeah. i've always found that fascinating that 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 this collaboration between uh both studios uh the you know and uh it i think that's what made made the game really really good is that again is that hybrid mentality uh of of uh so so basically like um I notice how like a lot of games, especially like you know American games, they're like again like they're catered specifically for that 
American audience and it's like it's really hard to like export it to other countries, right? Whereas I've noticed that like games like Silent Hill, Metroid Prime that like especially with the fact that, you know, Metroid Prime had that American developer, I think that really elevated the game to something, you know, again, just that I think it was like it was the right place, right time. The best designers, the best graphic artists, best sound people. I, I don't think I don't think we're going to see like like, you know, unless, unless a lot of uh, things happen in the video game industry, I think I think those days of like those small teams making these these really great games, like you look at AAA titles right now and it's like it's like a huge. 200. Yeah, it's yeah. just huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge behemoths. So. But um yeah, it's interesting because Metroid has always been Nintendo's black sheep. It sells way better yeah. in the West. It doesn't do very well in Japan. So then right. I think even Nintendo have a problem in terms of like its identity because yeah. um because they're Japanese, they don't know exactly how to cater to solely the Western market. Like, because if you think of their design philosophies and even how they market things, they primarily put Japan first and then the rest of the world second. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But there's times where they get it right with, say, Zelda. Like, that's way bigger in West than it is in Japan, but yet they right. killed it with Breath of the Wild, which is an amazing game. So it's, it's, it's probably a good thing that it's with Retro. That's what I feel. Yeah. So, but who knows? I mean, the, Prime Four seems to be going through the same problems the original Metro Prime did in terms of the, the design process and things yeah. being cancelled and changed. And so, yeah, who knows I, what will I, happen? I'm with really it. hopeful. I, I, I have, you know, again, I have to it, it, it express that you know, I'm I'm a casual gamer. I I don't play games a lot anymore. So, what I say about you know the current video game thing that's from an outsider's perspective, right? I'm, I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't have a switch. I don't, you know, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, <laughs> don't, don't worry. So gamers can be some of the worst people when it com- comes to criticizing <laughs> things. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's, it's probably a good thing. I mean, if you go online and go to some of those forums, they're pretty bad sometimes. So, no, yeah. I, it, I, and, and after, you know, you know, getting a, a sneak peek of like what goes on in the industry and whatnot, and you know, trying to you know get a job and stuff in the industry and seeing uh, what goes on and stuff. You know, I, I, I it's a little bit sobering um, in terms of like you know, like okay, this is still a day job. This is still you know, this isn't the you know, but because um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful for Metroid Prime Four. I think it's it, I, I will I will say like you know, it's it's this is a completely different retro from 20 years ago. So, you know, but I'm sure that they're, they're going to do something that's going to make, make a lot of people happy. It's Nintendo. And the fact that they were smart enough to go, Hey, this is not going to be up to par. We're going to have to delay the game. You know, um, I, I, I think it was probably the right move. Final question before I wrap up. Yes. If, if the opportunity came up to say work under, uh, Yamamoto son on Metro prime four, would you would you do it if the opportunity arises? Oh even yeah. If it, even if the pay wasn't that great initially, would you still oh, yeah. do it? No, oh, yeah. Oh cool. yeah, absolutely. Good man. No, hey. Good man. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. No, hey, no, just uh, uh, you know, I'll be an intern. I'll get the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, like sometimes yeah, that's what you got to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, got to be the gopher, you know. But uh, uh, like yeah, no, I would, I would, that would be an absolute amazing thing. Um, and, um, I would, I would, I, I, I would know. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really nice. <laughs> mm. Well, fans will probably be the one to make it happen because they make stuff go viral. Uh, they get the words out. They get the word out there. Um, even if you or me are unable to do that. So yeah, I hope, I hope everything works out for you, man. I really, really do. You're a talented guy. Thank you guy. so much, Reese. And, uh, yeah. So, um, if anyone wants to follow, follow you your Metroid stuff and your original material. Um, where's the best place for them to go? Where's all your social media? I, uh, I have, uh, my YouTube's my main social media. It's, uh, so just Google Cinemax, S Y N A M A X. Um, and, uh, that's where I have all my uploads of both original music and Metroid music. Uh, I have my Bandcamp, cinemax.bandcamp.com, uh, where you could, uh, purchase or, or donate, uh, 
uh, any of the tracks that you hear on my YouTube channel. I also have a Twitter and an Instagram, uh, but I don't use those as much as often. Uh, but, uh, but if you want to add, add yourself to those, uh, follow and subscribe and all that's good stuff, uh, by all means, please do. Cool. Well, hey man, this has been awesome to chat to you. Thanks so much. Likewise. I feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's cool. Cause like in, in New Zealand, Nintendo is kind of dead in the water. Like this stuff is pretty unknown here. So, um, I can't really talk to many local people about, about this stuff. So it's cool to get to chat to you. So, um, yeah, that's the show anyway, guys. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Support the bro, Cinemax. And, uh, yeah, stay safe. See you later.